happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm Ben. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, I'm oh, sorry. It's, it's me. It's Noel. It's Noel. I'm here. I'm mm-hmm. here. I'm paying attention. And we're going to talk about some ridiculous history. Yes. And I believe that was a beautiful snatch of song there. Only it'd be more like, uh, I wish I was in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Hooray. Hooray. In Brazil land. I'm going to make my stand to live and die in Brazil. Yes, that's true. And you may be wondering, Ben Knoll, super producer, Casey Pegram, what do these things have in common? What does that, uh, what does that series of, uh, hypnotic sensual music <laughs> excerpts have? Thank you. Hey. That's so sweet. Yeah. Look at, look at me. I'm just a cloud of cotton candy. You're just the milk of human kindness. We are delving into something that uh, that, that we were hip to, uh, via our friends Mangesh and Will over at Part-Time Genius, one of our peer podcasts. They had an episode recently called, What's the Most American Place in the World? Parentheses, outside of the United States. Yeah, and one of the things that came up time and time again were the various Disneyland theme park attractions all across the globe. Uh, in fact, in a 2016 study by Branding Magazine, around 5,000 people, Americans, were asked of which 248 brands best personified the patriotism of the United States and 98% associated the Disney brand with U.S. patriotism. But that is not what our show is about today because for truly – bizarro, unusual taste of Americana outside of the U.S. soil, uh-huh. we're going to head for Yes, my friend, specifically to the Brazilian state of Sao Paulo. Uh, you see, in Sao Paulo, there is a town, a, a not insignificant town in terms of population, a city of about 230,000 people called Americana. 
See, we, we set it up earlier. This is true. And this city um, welcomed somewhere between, according to various accounts, 10,000 and 20,000 American Southerners after the Confederates lost the Civil War in the mid-1800s. Yeah, when the American Confederacy lost the bloody dispute known as the Civil War here in the U.S. in May of 1865. The war between the states. The war between the states. Brother against brother. Blue v. Gray. All that stuff. Mm -hmm. A contingent of these Southerners fled the United States entirely, seeking to rebuild their lives and carry on the cultures to which they were accustomed. And we do want to warn, of course, that this is not all rainbow glitter trumpets and angel farts, as we will see. Angel farts. Yeah, you know, I'm just including things that people probably like. You know, I went to a store with my kid over the weekend, and she bought, she's really into slime, and she bought this slime called uh, Unicorn Farts. So, uh, <laughs> we're done talking about farts now. Now we're going to talk about the settlers and where they came from, which was mainly Alabama, Georgia, and Texas. And they, as Ben said, wanted to preserve their unreconstructed southern way of life and also escape possible prosecution for, you know, Treason, no big deal. War crimes, yeah. 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 Uh, in this movement, this group movement occurs uh, due primarily to a fellow named William Hutchison Norris. He is the founder of this town, Americana, Brazil, uh, and he was a Mexican-American war veteran and also an Alabama senator. He is the one who led the charge along with 30 Confederate families. I believe Brazil. he was a colonel, right? Yeah, I believe so. And he was uh, he was also just a side note here for anyone interested in some fringe history. Uh, he was a grand master of the Alabama Masonic Lodge, which is not important to this story, but one of those. Oh, not to be confused with a grand wizard. No, no, no. Of the Alabama Ku Klux Klan. Right. And not that we are conflating the no. two. No, 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 no. We would never. We would never. And I, I mean that. We would never. We actually uh, – we co-host a conspiracy uh, realist podcast called oh. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know. Where if you want to hear more about Illuminati and uh, the like and Masonic rights, oh. check out that show. But yeah, so Colonel Norris actually established this colony in a town currently – known as Santa Barbara de Oeste. Uh, and it was actually sometimes referred to as the Norris Colony. And the reason that these uh, confederatos, as they were ultimately referred to as, decided to make that trip was because Brazil offered cheap land and slavery was still legal. That's – yeah, that's one of the key things here. So a lot of the people moving were agricultural experts, right? Uh, Brazil offered cheap land and uh, – uh, Tax and, incentives essentially. Yeah, and an agricultural system with which these families were unfortunately very familiar, which was of course the use of slave labor. And at the time, Brazil had an emperor, a fellow named Dom Pedro II uh, and he didn't just – 
you know, turn a blind eye as these families moved in. He wanted them there so much so that he offered to pay moving costs, which, you know, I like the way Noel says it. Uh, uh, the idea is essentially like tax incentives. You well, know? I think the cheap land came as an incentive. It was to entice these new settlers and also Don Pedro II was a, a an ally, I guess you could say, of the Confederate cause. Mm-hmm. So he saw this as an opportunity to get new um, types of um, agricultural expertise, I guess, in yeah. his country. One of those crops was cotton, which, as we know, is very uh, important staple crop in the American South. And uh, Brazilian farmers started to take up these new farming methods that mm-hmm. they were taught, more or less, by the American settlers, the confederados. Right. And this all begins to happen very quickly after the close of the Civil War. By 1866, uh, the region was uh, becoming noticeably populated with these immigrants from the United States. And we should add that not all of them found success. There were thousands of people who accepted this deal, but only one group of settlers from Alabama, Norris's you know, cadre, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, uh, thrived. And these uh, these folks uh, had surnames that you can find in the town today, like Baird. Uh, we've got Buford, mm-hmm. Clark, and Curry, among others. There's actually a uh, memorial there mm-hmm. to this day that highlights some of these names like Sanders, Seawright, Skurlock, Smith, Stiegel, Strong, Tanner. Mm-hmm. And again, this all falls under the um, the sovereignty or the suzerainty of uh, Norris. So one thing that's fascinating is that the descendants of these settlers spoke English with a southern accent for generations. And over time, as people do, they intermarried with uh, Brazilians who had been living there since way before, and their numbers soared. They thrived. Uh, they became, you would argue, one would argue, well, actually, everybody agrees they became essentially Brazilian, right, mm-hmm. and not just some American exclave. But like many people in the world, uh, even in the modern day, the population of Americana, those 230-something thousand people, love Western music, love Western movies, and of the music they love, they're especially fond of, wait for it, country music. <laughs> Are you a fan of country music, Ben? Country and or Western? You know, I am a fan of very old country. You know, my uh, my family, without getting too deep into the murky past uh, of the Bolin clan, they uh, they have uh, extensive roots in Appalachia. So bluegrass, gospel, and country. Not so, I'm not so much a, a modern country fan. I don't know. What about you? I find most modern country music to be pretty uh, unlistenable, but I'm with you on the classics. Um, so let me, let's, let's backtrack just a touch. Sure. Let's, uh, let's, can we get a, can we get a backtrack a vehicle noise? Okay, here we are. Uh, only because I think this is interesting and worth mentioning because I feel like we glossed over just a tad. Don Pedro II, the ruler uh, of Brazil during this time, he ruled from 1809 to 1865. Um, he was a huge admirer of Abraham Lincoln, actually. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned the whole fact that, you know, slavery was still legal in Brazil and that may have made it attractive to some of these settlers. They wanted to continue their way of life they were used to. But 
Don Pedro II actually felt like the idea of slavery had the potential to cause a civil war in an, in his own country. Which you know? in retrospect seems painfully obvious. Painfully, painfully obvious. So he was all about getting rid of slavery and when he kind of helped push through some measures that did that, he was basically deposed. But the work that he did to abolish slavery – you know, uh, persevered, and he actually started with the. Uh, it's, I'm hopefully not butcher these too bad, but the Queros Law of 1850, which outlawed the slave trade, and then his second one was uh, to proclaim in 1871 the Lido Ventre Livra, which is the law of the free womb, which declared that children born of slaves would also be free. Mm-hmm. This is you know, and then finally. There was the Lai Oria, the Golden Law, which abolished slavery completely in 1888. And that actually caused some of the folks that immigrated to Brazil to leave also during this time when kind of the whole reconstruction situation mm. changed and it became much more of the Jim Crow, you know, post-abolition world that we know uh, and despise. <laughs> yeah, so there, there are several – Really important things to underlying here. The golden law, if we just use the English term for it, is the ultimate no caveats manumission law, freeing one from slavery. The other laws were sort of gradually weakening the type of slavery right. that existed by degrees and all slavery is deplorable, repugnant and in my view inhuman. Uh, but there are several different types and the type of slavery that was practiced in the United States uh, leading to the Civil War and the type of slavery that was practiced in Brazil at the time uh, tended to be something like chattel slavery, definitely chattel slavery in the U.S. Uh, and in Brazil, a very similar system. This means that it's not, say, indentured servitude. It wouldn't be, um, it, it wouldn't be, for instance, someone being a slave for seven years until a debt is considered repaid. Right. It's slavery based on bloodline, which means that automatically the child of a slave becomes a slave for life, no escape, and any kids that they have are going to be the property of whomever is considered legally to be the owner of that slave. Well, the reason I brought up the whole situation with slavery in Brazil uh, was because actually some of the newly freed slaves in the U.S. immigrated to Brazil as well. And sometimes they even came with their previous owners. And I found this on an article on uh, Project Gutenberg's self-publishing press on the Confederados. And it says in this article that there was a situation where a former slave by the name of Steve Watson was given the run of a sawmill in Brazil uh, that belonged to his former owner, a man by the name of Judge Dyer of Texas. And when Mr. Watson came back to the U.S., um, Dyer actually deeded all of his remaining property uh, to Watson in the area of the Jukia Valley, um, where there are many Brazilian families with the last name Vaseo, which is the Portuguese way of pronouncing Watson. So this legacy perseveres to this day in a pretty interesting way. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. 
obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit tomboyx.com. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the Challenge Gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Many families did end up traveling back to the United States uh, during the Reconstruction era. The settlers who stayed uh, became quickly successful. They got a reputation for honesty and hard work. Uh, the new techniques they brought for existing agricultural products worked well, but they also brought new food crops and new ways of cooking food or preparing it. And as we know, you can learn so much about the human story through the transmission of food, whether we're talking spices like peppercorn or saffron, whether we're talking staples like rice or how tomatoes made it to Italy, which is its own other story, I guess. Before I derail this too much, let me, let me stay focused on Brazil. I think it's because I just, I didn't eat before we came in here. So now food history is automatically uh, automatically capturing my mind. Just, drink the, just pound the rest of that five-hour energy, dude. Just do it. Do <laughs> oh. it. Do it. Do it. Uh, some some of the uh, dishes that were standouts that were very popular in this area of Brazil were things like chess pie or vinegar pie, fried chicken. What is vinegar pie? Vinegar pie doesn't have the most appealing name. I, I would grant you that. Uh, it's it's like eggs with a little bit of cinnamon, sugar, and two tablespoons of cider vinegar. He makes is this something like you feed to kids when they've misbehaved or? No, it's a thing. People people eat it. 
for fun. And it has sort of an apple pie-like flavor oh. because of the cider but vinegar. But there's a custardy vibe to it as well. You know, I haven't tried it. I'd love to hear uh, from someone who has. Maybe – you know what? Friends and neighbors, thank you so much for listening to the show. I'd like to defer to you on this. If you have tried vinegar pie, uh, let us know if this is something that we should delve into, if we should try it ourselves or, you know, warn us if it's a traumatic experience for you. The southern food, right, the the southern food is is pretty pretty successful and it catches on. And as we said, these confederados, as they were called – I guess, continued their culture in the, in the, as best they could, right? And similar to the hippos that traveled to Colombia with Pablo Escobar, mm. they, they thrived in a way that might seem, you know, counterintuitive at first to the point that this is not just an odd historical footnote. It's a ridiculous historical footnote, right? Yes, and it's a current practice because if you travel down to Americana, Brazil today, you will not just see one monument and maybe a couple placards at old farms or old plantations. No, depending on when you go, you might find yourself in the midst of a very strange, very strange party. Something of a shindig. Yes, something of a soiree. You see, every year for the last quarter century, the descendants of these confederados gather for a gigantic party that celebrates their vision of confederate culture, which, you know what it sort of reminds me of? Did you ever go to Six Flags over Georgia? Yeah, I have season passes. You know that about me, Ben. Um, no, I'm setting you up. <laughs> the... uh I don't know if it's still the same because it's – talking a, about Lick Skillet Junction? <laughs> right, right, where they've got uh, Dixie music playing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the whole time. Yep. I, I almost picture it like that. So the uh, the population of the town gets together. They dress up in gray like Johnny Reb uniforms and then hoop skirts and uh, they dance around to fiddle and uh, banjo tunes. And there's the copious amounts of Confederate flag wavings, shall we say, wavings. They even have a dance floor emblazoned with the uh, – what do they call it? Old, 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 glory? old Glory? That's it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they're not alone over the years – Reporters have traveled to check out the celebration and uh, so have Confederate enthusiasts from the United States. You know, Reenactors, um, mm-hmm. descendants themselves from sure. um, Confederate soldiers and the like. Uh, in fact, uh, the, the, first of all, the party, the annual festival is called the Festa Confederada and um, it – you know, like I said, it's marked by Confederate flags, Confederate uniforms, the hoop skirts you mentioned, um, and this fusion of you know Southern culture with Brazilian culture, dancing, um, popular music that you know, like you were saying, banjo music and all the stuff that you would have heard during the antebellum period, and they have this affection, this affinity, if you will, for the Confederate flag. And Ben, as you know, listeners, as you know, this is something of a problematic uh, emblem. Today, more than ever, I would say, in in our country. Yes, here in the United States, uh, as we record this in 2017, uh, the nation is engaging in a debate about symbols and their historical significance. 
And one of the big flashpoints for this in our country is always going to be or has always been up to now uh, the Confederate flag since the end of the Civil War to the modern day. Uh, people have argued back and forth about what waving this flag means, right? Mm. And the same thing goes for statues, monuments. You know, uh, we are based in Atlanta where we are just a few minutes drive away from a gigantic Confederate monument known as Stone Mountain. Yeah, it's literally a mountain. <laughs> With a big old Confederate uh, scene, shall we say, um, carved into the rock. Um, who are those dudes? Yeah, there are three Confederate figures depicted in uh, just gigantic scale on on Stone Mountain. Uh, they are Jefferson Davis, Robert E. Lee, and Stonewall Jackson. And it's interesting because with all the talk these days in the news about um, you know removing Confederate monuments from um, cities because they're squares. offensive, they're yeah. offensive. They shouldn't be on public land, etc. Uh, it came out. It's really interesting that Robert E. Lee was kind of against Confederate monuments in the first yep. place. And then mm-hmm. they, they didn't really pop up until years you know, after the Civil War. There's a really great quote from Robert E. Lee where he says, quote, I think it wiser not to keep open the sores of war but to follow the example of those nations who endeavored to obliterate the marks of civil strife and to commit to oblivion the feelings it engendered. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And so back to Brazil. 
There's actually a really fantastic article in the New York Times about this uh, town, this uh, Santa Barbara de Oesto. Yeah, yeah, by uh, Simon Romero, right? That's right. And the very first sentence um, in the article, I'm going to quote it because this is great. This is, uh, the set scene, Santa Barbara de Asto, Brazil. On a stage festooned with Confederate flags, a singer was belting out Dixieland Delight by Alabama near an obelisk honoring the Americans who fled to this outpost in the aftermath of the Civil War. Here's the important bit. Quote, we're not racists, said Cicero Carr, 54, an engineer whose great-great-grandfather hailed from Texas. Wearing a fedora featuring the rebel battle flag, he explained in Portuguese, we're just revering our ancestors who had the good sense to settle in Brazil. Mm. So this is actually a really, really interesting touch point, like considering what's going on in our country right now mm-hmm. and the arguments for and against removing these uh, relics of the past and whether it actually means you're actively being racist or you're actively um, celebrating, uh, slavery. celebrating slavery in some way or, you know, um, and I think this is a very interesting case study where this is almost like a weird back to the Disneyland thing. This is almost like this kind of removed version of this, you know, where it's not functional exactly. It's like a, I don't know. I, I think I see what you're saying because I, as as we'll find out at the end, this is not the only situation where something like this has occurred mm-hmm. in a foreign country or in a non-U.S. country or let's even go further and say a country not directly associated with the conflict uh, that is you know being celebrated. And it's very important for us to underline these uh, these following things. The Average person celebrating this sees it as uh, a celebration of their own history, the history of Americana Brazil. They do not see it as a, as we said, a celebration of slavery or in any way uh, a celebration of man's inhumanity to man or people's inhumanity to people rather. Uh, in fact, the confederados have downplayed their ancestors' interest in maintaining a slavery system. But, you know, this doesn't just include the context of the U.S. We must also include uh, the context of Brazil, which was the last country in either American continent to abolish slavery. It wasn't until 1888. And then after that, Slave-like conditions and situations continued. Uh, there was still going to be, you know, agricultural wage slavery. Despite the best efforts of our boy Dom Pedro II. Despite his best efforts. And this means that um, despite the uh, the intervening decades, including uh, 1940, where there was a constitutional amendment prohibiting employers from submitting workers to quote, conditions analogous to slavery, um, Brazil was still desperate to modernize and this incentivized farm owners to start putting wage laborers in debt and then holding them in bondage, preventing their freedom of movement off the plantation. So more that indentured servitude vibe. Exactly, exactly. And Americana itself got caught up in this controversy in 2013 in January, the Brazilian Ministry of Labor orchestrated a sting in Americana and it found Bolivian immigrants manufacturing baby clothes uh, under the supervision of two Bolivian bosses. Uh, they broke up the factory, the Ministry of Labor that is, and they sued. They said the conditions they found were 
deplorable or execrable enough to constitute slavery, but of every single person or the average person, again, that you ask about slavery in this town, most people will say, well, I don't, there's no slavery here. And this is not in any way a celebration of that. So what seems to be a flashpoint of conflict here in the United States is simply a, um, the same thing as like the annual town fair. Yeah, I think that's what I was kind of poorly stumbling my way toward earlier is that it, 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 it feels like that Six Flags or Disneyland kind of recreation of a, of a situation where the, the roots of negativity are, are somehow kind of whitewashed away a little mm-hmm. bit which yeah. I, it doesn't mean i don't it still kind of icks me out a little bit to be honest you know what i mean but um it's interesting in in fact in 1972 jimmy carter came to the region for a visit uh to americana and in you know in preparing for his visit the um americana actually added the confederate flag into its municipal coat of arms um but Actually, most people that live there these days are Italian descended. Uh, so mm-hmm. they removed it because the descendants of the Confederados apparently now comprise only about a tenth of the population of the area. Um, but when Carter was there, he visited the Santa Barbara de Oeste and visited the grave of um, a relative of his wife, Rosalind. Her relatives was one of the original Confederados. And uh, while he was there, he couldn't help but uh, notice that everyone just seemed just like good old Southerners because we know Jimmy Carter being from Atlanta as we sure. are. Um, he is the the portrait of a Southern gentleman. <laughs> yes, yes. So he so, knows it when he sees it. So if you're listening to this, uh, Jimmy, feel free to uh, give us a call. We'll answer the phone. It's actually a really nice guy. Several of our coworkers have met him. Well, he does all this Habitat for Humanity stuff, and he's got the Carter Center and does all this amazing work. Election um, monitoring, yeah, mm-hmm. disease, yeah. Yeah. Uh, disease totally. mitigation. Yeah, so Noel and I want to be clear that we're not denigrating the people in Americana who celebrate this way. We're hopefully painting some of the context here because – The idea of an exclave, you know, the idea of people moving to a foreign country and attempting to make it function as if it is just the same thing as the country from which they originated, it's it's a fairly – I don't want to say common, but it's not as rare as it might sound, you know, and there have been multiple attempts – in South America, even in Brazil, uh, by Westerners to sort of recreate the concept of the uh, small town USA or the Confederacy or whatever their cultural slice of the vinegar pie that is American history might be. Still don't know how I feel about that. Can we call it something else? Uh, Do you want to call it? uh, Delicious yum yum pie? Apple cider pie? I'm fine with that. That's a little better. We'll with that. Hey, listeners, what do you think it should be called? What should a disgusting food stuff, uh, how can you make it more palatable just by changing the name? And is it disgusting or That's is fair. it just the name? I'm being, I'm being judgy. Because there's like barley water. It's probably awesome. Have you ever heard of barley water? Beer? No, no. <laughs> in, in the UK, I swear. No, no. And then squash and then, of course, spotted dick. Do you remember that movie King Ralph with John Goodman? Oh, yeah. That was great. That was the, There was a big joke in that about do, spotted dick. Do. 
It's the remix. It's the yeah, remix. There we go. You're welcome, Girl Talk. Uh, we just gave them an idea for the next album. I do want to close with just let's, let's call it a, a teaser, if we can, uh, for another strange relationship uh, between uh, American governments mm. or the U.S. government and a South American area. It turns out that in Paraguay, President Rutherford B. Hayes is immensely popular. Did you ever hear about this? Mm-mm. Yeah, he uh, he is immensely popular because he awarded territory to Paraguay as an arbiter in a boundary dispute between Paraguay and Argentina after the Paraguayan War. And we we're not going to we're not going to just segue into that as a whole nother episode. But if you are interested in these sorts of stories, this is a great read. So find out why uh, Rutherford B. Hayes, who is not a name you hear often in the U.S. anymore. Old Ruthie B. Yeah, right, right. Uh, actually, people had at the time his opponents called him Rutherfraud. Ooh. I know it's dirty, dirty pool, but uh, find, you can find out why he uh, remains immensely popular in parts of Paraguay today. And we hope that you will let us know if you find your way down to the Festa Confederata in Brazil. And uh, side note, if you're a George Strait fan, oh, buddy. This is supposed to be right up your alley. Well, I'm proud to be a nuts. Who's that? Leon Green? Steve Greenwood? Casey just told me I'm just making up names now. Lee Greenwood. And you know what that means. Whenever we mention uh, Lee Greenwood, that's a new rule on the podcast that Noel and I just made up. Uh, that means that it's time to wrap up this episode of Ridiculous History. We hope that you enjoyed it. And we would, as always, love to hear from you. You can find us and our whole team on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook, where we are Ridiculous History, both of those. And feel free, if you're already on line to drop us a suggestion let us know if there's a particular episode in history that you would like us to cover in an episode of our own are we not being ridiculous enough <laughs> are you know do you do do you want to pick apart literally everything that we say we're we're down just do it are you not entertained by the ridiculosity that's both the uh speed of ridiculousness and the direction something new every day <laughs> well we hope you guys learned something and then had a good time and uh hope you'll join us on the next installment of ridiculous history Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was good. But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! 
Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.